Hi, I'm Katerina and this is Sound Effects, a new music and mental health podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to Tom Bellamy, who many of you will know as having been the guitarist and multi-instrumentalist from the Cooper Temple Claws. He used to do all sorts of sound effects like playing the guitar with his violin bow and playing bits of keyboards and doing all sorts of sound effects and tweaks and a lot of you will remember him sort of flying around on stage doing all these different sound effects. He's now also in the band Losers with DJ Eddie Temple Morris and Paul Mullen who was formerly from The Automatic. The reason that I'm talking to Tom Bellamy in this episode is because about a year ago in 2016 Tom wrote a really heartfelt post on his band's Facebook page which ended up becoming an article on Noisy about tinnitus and how he is trying to raise awareness of tinnitus because he a few years ago began to suffer with the condition and he went into a massive panic and tried to do everything he could to get rid of it and he couldn't do anything and he's now in a situation where he's living with this condition but really really desperate and keen to raise awareness to other people about the dangers of listening to music too loud especially when you're a musician and you're used to playing loud live gigs particularly rock musicians like Tom it's not just rock musicians or musicians generally who are affected by tinnitus and I'll go on to explain in a moment what exactly tinnitus is but actually tinnitus is something that is relevant to all of us because music is in our lives every day we listen to it every day and more and more these days we tend to listen to that music with earphones and people tend to listen to that music very loud and actually that is doing a lot of damage to our ears and Tom goes on to explain how and why and how we can make it safer for ourselves as well as earphones how often have we kind of gone to clubs or gigs or concerts and ended up leaving the gig with a kind of ringing sound in our ears. Now that ringing sound is in itself what tinnitus is but what Tom goes on to explain is that actually when you overexpose yourself for a prolonged period of time to these loud sounds that ringing sound eventually can in some people become permanent and that's when it becomes problematic. So that's what a lot of the conversation is going to be about in this episode as well as talking about tinnitus we do talk about other topics specific to mental health in the music industry so we do talk a bit about as well as tinnitus the knock-on effects of tinnitus so the use of alcohol to cope we also talk a bit about how musicians have to make themselves quite vulnerable sometimes in order to create 
honest music and the problems that are associated with that when someone has to sometimes put themselves in a maybe an unstable place in order to feel creative which is a debate that we both sort of grapple with a bit and I will talk about that more in future episodes as well and we also talk about the compatibility of being a musician with say having a family life and so we do cover we do touch on quite a lot of different topics as well as tinnitus But the main focus of this really is about raising awareness of tinnitus and how it impacts musicians. So just to talk a little bit more about what exactly tinnitus is, it's a medical term essentially which describes the ringing in somebody's ears when you get that ringing sound and most of us will have had it on occasion as I said before when you come out of a concert or a gig you get this ringing sound in your ears it doesn't always sound like ringing to everybody there are a number of different sounds which are connected to tinnitus some of them are high-pitched sounds some of them sound more like waves some of them can sound like heartbeats um There's a whole range of different sounds that are specific to different people. But just to clarify, not everybody gets it. I think it's something like 30% of people will be affected by tinnitus at some point in their lives. And the statistic is something like 10% of people can end up getting tinnitus permanently. Now, this is a very specific uh, risk for musicians particularly that they would be in the category of being at higher risk of developing tinnitus permanently but also if you're uh, listening to loud music on your earphones you are going to be putting yourself at higher risk which is why it's really important I think the message that Tom has Tom Bellamy has on this episode is so relevant and important for all of us and just to say that actually of that 10% who do get it permanently the severity of it varies so I mentioned the different types of sounds that you can get before but as well as the different types of sound it varies so sometimes the sound can be relatively mild and although you get a ringing in your ears you can kind of zone out from it you can kind of forget it's there and some people manage quite well even if they do have it permanently they can kind of get on with their lives they don't notice it so much unfortunately though there is a situation where sometimes the sound can be quite loud and for the people who do get it loud the ability to zone out and the ability to forget about it can become more problematic and there is a small percentage of people where actually the sound is so intrusive and so loud that it's impossible to zone out and uh, this is really the area that Tom and I grapple with because people kind of tinnitus is one of those things that people don't really think about when they're younger that much they don't think about their ears it's kind of as he as he explains people kind of laugh about it like oh yeah I'll you know tinnitus I might get that when I'm older but actually if if you do end up getting tinnitus and it is severe and it is permanent and you can't 
can't drown it out. There's actually very little that can be done medically to really help it because you can't cure it as such. You can do things that can kind of aid it slightly, but a lot of them are not, you know, if you've got a really severe form, it's not that effective. And unfortunately, when you're in that place, it can lead to knock-on effects. So Tom talks about the knock-on effect of not being able to go to sleep. He also talks about how because he couldn't go to sleep, he then started drinking alcohol. So there's a lot of kind of like a domino effect that can happen. And understandably, that can lead to issues with depression he talks about panic getting sweaty palms and it can get worse you know tinnitus once you have it it can get worse over time and in some cases not everybody but in some cases tinnitus is so bad that it can lead to quite severe bouts of depression and in some um, cases it can even lead to some suicidal thoughts so it's really important to not to panic anyone but purely really to raise awareness because it's a very important topic and as I said when Tom wrote that article for Noisy last year it really touched me and he described it so well and so descriptively that I really wanted to get in touch with him to talk about that article and how tinnitus impacts him emotionally on a mental health level and when I asked him if I could speak to him for this podcast he very very kindly agreed to do it so I really really appreciate that so coming up next is that interview with Tom Bellamy about tinnitus remember being like it really affected me reading it actually and I just thought it's such a it's such an issue um so I know like earlier this year um we actually had a death of Craig Gill from Inspiral Carpets and my understanding was that he suffered tinnitus himself um so I was thinking about the fact that actually this is quite this is something quite devastating and yet it's not really spoken about much. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk to you a bit about is it something that you find as a musician that you can talk to people about or do people talk to you about it? Do you talk to other musicians about it much or is it kind of hidden? Um, I mean, when I, when I started making music, I... I knew of it and I think I touched on it in that piece that I wrote that most of the time when it's talked about it's a bit of a joke um, and I 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, as a musician, the most worrying thing uh, that can happen. And um, But still, you know, I deep down I probably knew that I was listening to things too loudly. Um, I think, I mean, now that I, I have it, anything that um, is mentioned about loud music, you know, I'm, I'm always the first to to try and t uh, warn people, tell people of the dangers. Um, more and more people uh, will will talk about it. It will come up in conversation. I, I find, I don't know, maybe it's because I have it. It's like, you know, it's like now that I have a daughter, I'm always, I'm always spotting the little kids everywhere. And, and uh, you know, before I would never even have thought about them. But um, it's, it's, brought up you know i mean even this this week someone just mentioned that uh, that i someone had gone to see a gig and and i and i'd asked them about it and they said oh well actually it was strange for me because my friends had you know mentioned that he had tinnitus and blah blah, blah and then the conversation started and and yeah and, and i like to talk about it because um it's a real it's a real problem and i don't think enough people know about it and they know about how, how difficult it is and um, certainly for me when I when I first got it I was I was just terrified mm. and um, I so quickly I tried to make it better and go and see people and sort doctors and you know and and then you, you you're so hopeful for a while and then you slowly realise that you know it's not going anywhere and then there's always people that say that there's a cure, some, you know, magical cure has come through and, and it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's never going to be real unless it comes from somewhere medical. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think more and more as the years go by there's going to be lots of youngsters especially going to be coming out with it there's the levels that we listen to, to music now are so much higher than they than they ever used to be and you know it's it's crazy when you when you think about the damage that's being done and um and it's all in the name of going out and having a good laugh and and you know that you always hear stuff about people you know if they kids going out and getting drunk and taking drugs and that's a that's a huge problem but mm -hmm. not about the maybe the music that they're, they're listening to it's um, such levels that it's you know going to give them brain damage that's something that came up in the interview you did with noisy about um you as a 14 year old being at reading festival and yeah. the the belief that you had this kind of idea about this rock and roll ideal and the louder the better and that the more our ears bleed the better and that there's some kind of belief system that comes with that idea of what the ideal rock star lifestyle is and how it ought to be. So I was wondering if you could take me back to that person you were when you were 14, what, what it was that was going through your mind. Well, thankfully, I think live, um, seeing live music has changed, and there's a, there's a been a 
massive decrease in mm. the amount of like rock music um, and I think you know rock music really is the worst type of music for uh, for listening to bad bad frequencies you know there's um, mm. and especially going to see live rock music you know li listening to it is one thing and, and now I will listen to music that was made you know in in the 80s and well it's 90s really 90s rock music I think for me you know I, I listen to that and, and, and the frequencies that you're listening to and you don't realize that as a 14 year old I was just like you know it just sound it sounds exciting mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's, I, I didn't know what it was other than this really rebellious, energetic sound. You know, I can't, I didn't equate that to something that's actually like doing me damage. Mm. And you know, you listen, you listen to pop music, and it's all really nice and warm, and there aren't any frequencies in there. Well, there's there's much fewer frequencies that are, are doing you damage. Um, and uh, you know, as a as a fourteen year old into grunge at that time, you know that was it was that was the scene that came out, and those were the bands that I loved, and I wanted to play guitar, and I wanted to be in a band, and um, and that was you know the holy grail, you know, and uh, so that's that was my. One of the one of the greatest experiences of me going to Reading Festival and, and seeing that and, and and that's what I wanted to do. I just, mm. I, uh, you know, I wasn't. I I was young and naive, mm. and I, you know, everything that came with it, the the drinking as well, and you know, the behaviour, and mm. so and then I met people at school that were all up for that as well. And, mm. You know, we just we just didn't think we were just having fun at the time. And who was the band that you remember watching that year? I can't remember who the lineup was that that would have been in that year when you were fourteen. Um, do you, that was headlining that you remember having an impact on you. I was at that point. I was I was really into Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, and I went to see them. And uh, yeah, I mean it was it was great. And. Um, people talk about rock and roll it kind of comes with all that sort of 
the trappings. But there's almost like there's something quite nihilistic about all of that as well. Like the more you damage yourself, the better. It's kind of. Oh, totally. I, I've always said to my dad, you know, and and he he still says to me this day. He he still says that. Oh, it's this rock and roll, as it told me. Oh, it's rock and roll. <laughs> and uh, it's only since I've had my daughter that I think I've knocked, hopefully knocked that behaviour on the head. Mm. Because even you know, up until recently, it was it you know, mm. surrounding myself with people, you know, musicians, um, you know, he heavy drinkers and people taking drugs and mm. and everything everything that you know, surrounds it is, and yeah, it's, you know, idolizing people that look like shit and feel like shit and, and mm. uh, having a real problem, but it's rock and roll, so it's okay, you know, mm. and, um, you know, being in a band, you know, you think, oh, well, if I'm in a band and I can make money and I can live that lifestyle, mm. then, uh, then it's all fine, you know, and then suddenly when the, you know, like for for me, for example, when the when the when the bands like go go away, and then you realise you're in a room on your own and and you're drinking heavily, and you're you're doing that every day, and you've got a ringing in your ears, and you're and you think, oh, you know, this isn't fun anymore. Mm. There's something quite dangerous about the. Uh, I wonder if it winds you up as well now in retrospect that this idea that you know you're saying it's all rock and roll and it's great but actually as you said the the reality is is that the people are suffering and that there's something that's idealized and romanticized about being that way and being in a band and the more you're suffering the better wondering how much that winds you up in the way <laughs> if it if it winds you up I don't know no it doesn't, I mean, when you're in it, mm. and if you've got the right, if you've got people around you that are doing the same things, you just, you don't, you don't think about it, you don't care, it's, it's yeah. just, you know, you're, it's just selfish behaviour, mm. it's purely selfish behaviour, and um, you just do it for as long as you can, because, you know, the, the alternative and being straight and you know mm. it's 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 boring in in comparison it is yeah. but you can't you know i don't know some people can keep it up uh but there are so many people that you know now that i hear that you know these all these people that i've, I've pied with or, or or whatever or made music with or just drunk with or whatever you know I hear stories of them now just, you know, suffering and trapped. And, uh, yeah, it's a cliche. It's a huge cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason.
I suppose I'm with the abandonment of that because you're there's this moment in time when everyone's kind of, yeah, it's rock and roll, it's great, we're, we're in this together, we're in a band, we're living the dream, everything's fantastic, no one's talking about the side effects. But then there comes that moment where, as you say, you know, your band, like, bands disband, people go their own way, and it's in that moment that you're left alone. And it's that kind of there's a sort of injustice in it. You're sort of just abandoned into nothing. There's, there doesn't seem to be a support network there, a support system to help you through that. No. Mm. There's a there's a terrible lack of support for musicians. Yeah. Um, we always used to joke about it in my old band, uh, in the Cooper Temple Clause, um, when you came off tour and, mm. you know, there were you know, the first couple of days would just be absolute hell. And, um, you know, we, we used to joke about tour head. We, we called it tour head, where, you know, it would take a couple of days to get into a tour, um, which basically meant that you would be drinking heavily for two days and then you would start the, the cycle of just being drunk the whole time. And that was when you had tour head and, you know, it was just, you were on repeat then, and all you had to do was entertain people by playing music and being being drunk. For us, it was being drunk and staying up as long as possible, you know, mm. making some sort of trouble somewhere and, you know, having something to talk about in the morning and, you know, waking up in a different city. You don't have to deal with any of the consequences of what happened the night before, mm. you know, and you can just continue to do that and um, yeah when you come out of that there's there's no there's no support I just they, I, I, it's screaming out for some sort of yeah consultation support network you know I, I think because there's it's uh, it's a very unique um, uh, world and very uh, ostracized and um, you know, if you're lucky enough to actually make some money out of it and some fame, um, then you'll probably you'll probably end up in a situation where no one will dare tell you mm. if you're, you know, acting, um, you know, if, if your behaviour is, is uh, awful and your record, records are terrible and um, you're not a very nice person because you're drunk all the time and actually, you know, it's because, because you're an artist and you can get away with murder, you know.
remember I remember your time in the Cooper Temple Clause. I was a huge fan actually. I, I remember seeing um I saw you a few times. One of my memories actually was how loud those gigs were. <laughs> I I I would say of all of all the bands I because yeah, I used to go to a lot of gigs and they were definitely you were definitely one of the loudest, but I felt like it it was part of the visceral atmosphere you created. There was just an atmosphere of like real aliveness to it, and I found like well that was intoxicating for me. So I can only imagine what it was like for you guys actually in the band playing like that. Yeah, well, for us, it, I mean every time we played. We put so much into it. Mm. It, it. It just, it just yeah. took over everything, and it was all about being in the now. And you know, we would wind ourselves up before we we went on stage, and, and it was always just about losing yourself in the moment, you know, and and having crowds that were there that were in the moment with you. And yeah, the, and the noise and just everything was just. It, yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible feeling. And Um, 
you know, there there wasn't many times when I would watch watch other bands and and think, oh, that's that's too loud. It would just be like, wow, that's 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 mega. But I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I feel now, you know, looking back, that yeah, I mean, that could be. It could have been very very dangerous for for lots of people. Mm. I've got. Um, sorry. Go on. Yeah, come on. Um, I've got a memory out of, I think you were supporting music at Brixton Academy. I remember that was the first time I saw the Coopers live and I've got a memory of, I think it was you or Ben, standing on top of a monitor, <laughs> climbing on top of it and just sort of dancing on top of these monitors and then kind of dancing from, from one end of the stage to the other and mixing everything in. I just remember there were so many of you on stage because there were six of you at the beginning, weren't there? And yeah. I remember how y you created this kind of visual effect with it all and it felt like you were all in your own world and you you were all kind of engrossed in your music. And I do, I do remember that aspect. I remember thinking it was like, like I said before, just completely, I was engrossed in it, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but yeah, we were all engrossed in it as well. Yeah. That was the thing. I mean, we we really were. I mean, it was just it was just pure mm. pure passion. We were all friends from school, and that's all we did every night was just go to our pig farm and and play live music. Yeah. And we just jammed and jammed and jammed for hours and days and weeks. And that's yeah. that's what we did. That's that's how we enjoyed ourselves, you know. And and so it was, you know. I play I play a few gigs these days, um, and you know it's 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 great, but it's difficult to get that um, what's the word the the sort of camaraderie of you know mm. when you've known people mm. you know for years and years and years before you're making music and yeah it's uh, it was yeah special. Oh yeah, I like that. Okay, we'll, t we'll discuss it. How about okay. we let John do the beat, as he's quite good no, at it. That, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. Right, I'll do... do. What do we know? Um, what do we know? Um, One of ours. Uh,
I suppose because you had a shared history as well, because you were all from, you all grew up in Reading, right? You all grew up in the same town. Yeah. You have those memories together of the kind of dream of making it big. Yeah. Going through that journey together. Yeah. What was that? What was your most memorable gig or moment of being in the Cooper Temple Clause for you? Um, it is a shame because I, I really was so drunk for so many years. <laughs> I mean, I live in Berlin now, and I think we played Berlin probably about ten times. Mm. And I, I can't, I can't, I can't remember really playing. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, okay. I mean, I always tell people about when we spoiled the Rolling Stones in uh, in Dublin, which. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will never forget. Um, well, there's a few reasons. One, because my dad came along as production manager, which just was the best feeling ever because, like, you know, everyone wants their dad to, <laughs> to uh, support them and enjoy what they're doing. Uh, and then secondly, because, well, secondly, because they made us stand behind the line uh, and take a photograph of us before uh, they went on stage and um, and I was hidden behind Ronnie Wood and I'm not actually in the picture <laughs> and and third because my all my electronics went down um. on stage so we had this big talk that we were uh, you know we were going on, on stage in front of 10,000 people and we were going to be like the coolest dudes in the world ever and we were going to walk on stage like proper rock stars and just get straight into the set mm. and um and I had, so I had all these samples and boxes of noise or whatever. Mm. And, uh, and just in case they went down, I had a, I had a sign that was just like this, <laughs> just, in, just in case, you know, they would never, they would never break because our, our um, sound guy said they were bomb proof, you know, and he'd done thousands of gigs with oh, fake bliss wow. and, and anyway, we, yeah, we walked on stage and they were, they, they messed up. And I had to turn, had to turn around, and I did the sign to the guys who were all stood there looking like super cool and like ready to get going. And then one by one, everyone realised, and and yeah, it just like oh. it was the worst, the worst feeling. Oh. Did the crowd notice? <laughs> the crowd were a bit confused because we were stood there for I don't know, we were stood there for a couple of minutes, like running around like headless chickens, <laughs> trying to work out what to do. Um, but yeah, we got into it eventually because luckily we had songs where it, where it was just guitars, so we had to just like yeah. play one of those and reload everything in my sampler and um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll never forget that gig. And um, I don't know, we had a really amazing time in in Japan, um, always uh, in Japan, and uh, of course like Reading Festival and Glastonbury Festival. Um, and you know when we played Glass for Me, it was actually like gloriously sunny. So you know the chances <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And yeah, I can imagine though that uh, when that all happened on stage with the Rolling Stones and and everything stopped working, that probably the crowd wouldn't have noticed because you because you know you kind of interact with each other on stage quite well so i don't know that's from my, my memory of watching you guys but yeah yeah i was i was always really adamant that if anything went wrong you know at the end of the day we were we are musicians yeah. so you 
you can always tell the bands that have been touring lots or, or know how to play their instruments, whether they're working or broken. Yeah. If something goes wrong on stage, if something breaks and you just stand there like a lemon, <laughs> you lose all the trust of the audience. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, well, why am, I, why am I stood here if I can't entertain an audience? You know, if so, even if everything's broken, you know, you should shout at the top of your lungs <laughs> to tell everyone about this, you know? You've got to, you're there to entertain. And there's so many bands now, you know, this, watching bands live, something goes wrong, the laptop's gone down. It's like, oh, right, okay, um, this is the end of the world. We've got to stop, you know? Yeah. That really bugs me. Really, really bugs me. Yeah, so we'd, we'd always, I don't know, do, do something. Um, try and make, you know, whoever's instrument was working at the time, just, you know, or if all of the instruments went down, it was just John at the back with his drum kit, we'd just get him to play some, <laughs> I don't know, whatever, jazz odyssey. <laughs> it always seemed like you were kind of all in on something that the audience went in on, like a secret code or something. It must be because you were such good friends from before. Yeah, we got, I don't know, people use that against us because mm. we would... Well, it was great. It, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. We 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 just had our own code. We were we were so close, and we were, you know, and then traveling all around. You know, we 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 kept each other grounded, and and yeah, it was always like in jokes and and mm. a lots of people just put it. You know, lots of people call us arrogant because we. You know, it was. I don't know. It's like we had our own language, yeah. and other people didn't get it. And we just we were so I don't know the clothes we wore and the things we said and what we ate and I don't know. It was it was, it was weird. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. What is a Cooper Temple clause? Dan. What is a Cooper Temple clause? A Cooper Temple clause is anything that is long, annoying, and awkward. So we thought it was fitting for us, as we are long people and annoying people and awkward people. There's a BMW garage in Reading called Cooper. And we, we used to hang out down there. We used to be, our gang used to be called the Cooper Temple. And uh, we agreed with each other that we were going to start a band, so we, we formed the clause, and hence the Cooper Temple clause. I, I actually remember uh, interviewing Ben Gaultry over the phone when I was a student at university, it was for my student paper, and I will never forget, his, his quote is my favourite quote of any, any band member ever, he just ended the interview by saying, um, no one likes a smug little so-and-so. And it was the way he said it. I just, I just <laughs> that was his philosophy for life. No one likes his mug little so and so. Yeah, he used to say some ridiculous things. He still says ridiculous things. History of the Cooper Temple Clause and the type of music you play. We all met in Mozambique in '91. His tongue. Is that crutches, isn't it? We've never, we've never he's ever he's, cancelled he's, a gig He's not before. on crutches, he's got sort of a one and a half metre walking stick. A bit like Gandalf, he's a wise yeah. man. Like Pete Nice out of third base. Right on, right on. So you had to cancel a gig, that must have been a drag. Yeah, yeah but we waited outside and told everyone that. Oh, so, bliss. Because we had so the Clash did that, and if yeah. the Clash did that, then 
we can do it. Right, yeah, that's cool. I don't know what that means, I'm sorry. Are you guys all still in touch? I am going back to the UK tomorrow morning uh, to play poker with Ben and Amazing. Kieran and uh, Daniel Fisher. Mm. Um, yeah, so we're, yeah, we're very much friends. Uh, yes, I love the guys. I love all of them. And I mm. um, talk to Diz regularly as well. Um, who's hilarious and um, yeah I mean you know he left the band early which caused a few problems with with some of us um, but you know he did it uh, and you know I respect him for what he did and uh, you know there's a lot of love there's loads of love yeah that's really nice to hear yeah um so like the so the band went on for quite a while. I know you did three albums, um, and then you guys split, and then you um, formed a kind of duo with you, you joined Losers, which is with Eddie Temple Morris, right, and um, Paul Moran. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Paul yeah. Moran, yeah. And um, so talk me through that process. What that was like. Um, so. Uh, the, the Cooper's third album took rather a long time and um, I decided to try and remix some of it um, and try my hand at production because I'd always wanted to try and produce music because, you know, up until that point I was just uh, a musician and um, I, wanted to, I wanted to learn. Uh, so I started to remix and Eddie Temple Morris uh, was given one of my remixes and he made it his bomb of the year or something on his show and um, and you know I was, I was really quite touched by that and amazed and um, it was pretty much the day that the Coopers split he phoned me up um, and asked me if I wanted to do a, a remix with him of a band called Goose and so we did that, and um, and yeah, we both really enjoyed it. And I was a massive fan of his. I used to listen to his show every weekend when I used to fix my Beetle, my car, and um, and yeah, I loved his show. I loved all the music he played, and I was so surprised uh, when he wanted to. He said he wanted to work with me, and so yeah, we just did some remixes, and I was just yeah, cutting my teeth really. I, did, I had no idea how to produce music and you know it's it was uh it was the start of my journey into production and um we were advised to write some of our own music so we did that and um and yeah and we one of the tracks on the first album did well um and we had to had a few syncs with it and uh, and then yeah, so we just decided to keep going. We kept on doing like you know remixes on the side, and then uh, and then we met Paul, um, and and yeah, and then when we met Paul, it sort of changed direction. And when, and really, I wanted to I wanted to make it more like the Coopers, and mm. you know I, I missed that live element. And you know when we started Losers, Eddie wanted it to be electronic, and his love is well i mean he has a very broad um, love of music but um mm. i guess he wanted to make a dance record 
and you know I came from a, a, a rock background anyway he's, he's big into rock as well and I sort of did it back into a place that was quite similar to where the Coopers left off and um, yeah our last record is I, I mean I, I think similar to to where Coopers were um, and uh, yes and we moved to Berlin uh, Paul and I and um, just continuing to make music really really lucky to still have the chance to make music and we we got signed to BMG uh, publishing in in Berlin a couple of years ago um, and yeah we still regularly get um, syncs uh, on uh, TV shows and trailers and yeah just incredibly incredibly lucky I guess that um, our music is yeah it's it's sort of suitable for um for 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 trailers and and the like um very dynamic which is you know a thing that came from from cooper's you know the just big into into dynamics sorry i've always been interested in the sounds that you make with sounds that aren't 
you know, you just try and push it somewhere that someone else hasn't been to, you know. Mm. And uh, so, any anything, it's it's that I haven't had before. Now, I mean, now I find it difficult to listen to guitar music because of my tinnitus and um, and yeah mm -hmm. it's I mean I, I, I listened to Pearl Jam 10 the other day um, after going to see Eddie Vedder uh, do an acoustic show and it just sounded awful to me and it was one of my favourite albums growing up and and now all I can hear is this 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 frequency just going through the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I'm into. I want to make a really warm sounding record next, yeah. <laughs> which quite excites me because I think really I've made lots of records that sound really quite harsh to listen to, and I think. I think drinking has a lot to do with that. I think people, you know, you always hear these stories about people in the producers in the 90s who, who drank and did lots of cocaine and everything sounded really, like, brittle. And, uh, yeah, now that uh, now that I'm sober, I'd, I'd like to make a really lush, warm-sounding record, so uh, I, I don't know. Some, some Find some, yeah, some nice, deep, dark synth. Uh, sounds, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I always, any any old toy of some sort, but yeah, I'm, I'm always on the lookout, so. Yeah. I like the sound of that, the sound of sunshine on your face. It, when you talk about it, it sounds like sunshine on your face. Yeah, <laughs> <warm> exactly. <laughs> um, just staying on that theme in a way, because you, you spoke about how now in a way your appreciation of music is affected by your tinnitus. Um, so I wanted to talk about that moment when it happened. So I'm aware that you you left the Coopers, you, you joined Losers, and it was whilst you were recording the song Acrobatica. Um, yeah. That suddenly, one day, well, you were recording that song, and then suddenly this noise appeared in your ear. And, yeah. yeah. Well, that, there's always been times before, mm. countless times, when I'd heard, heard ringing in my, in my ears mm. and I guess each time there was always that fear that it wouldn't go away yeah. Um, and yeah I mean I, and I remember I had been recording some guitars loudly and I was so excited because I mean that's the problem it's exciting you know when you've got a guitar <laughs> loud well for me for some people but for me it's just mm. It's just the best, and um, yeah, I had so much fun. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, just in the evening, I just thought, wow, this that's louder than normal. Mm. And then, yeah, waking up in the morning, and um, yeah, just after gigs, I would always expect to wake up in the morning and have ringing in my in my ears, mm. but not after playing guitar at my house, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, just panicked and uh, you know like I said in that piece I just I just got sweaty palms the second I woke up and then and then went through the day and it was and it was still there and um, yeah I mean it was just just the worst thing for me I really I really didn't take it well and um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky now that I, I can, I can live with it. But it took a really, really long time for me. How long um, would you say? Um, well, years. Mm. There's, I, I, yeah, just tried to, uh, uh, I guess, surround myself with noise as much as possible. Mm. Um, always, so that it wasn't there, you know. And um, yeah, just always have my headphones on me. And um, yeah, and 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 drink so that I didn't so that evenings weren't a problem, mm. you know. And I convinced myself that if I was sober and I couldn't go to bed, um, then it would be the worst thing. And you know, there have been a couple of times where you know I I was laying in bed and just thinking, I this this can't happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've since realised that I can. I can sleep and it's not a problem and it's and it's there and you know I've accepted it and um, I wish it wasn't there I can't imagine life without it uh, and I have to make sure that I don't listen to loud music it's as simple as that I mean I have my earplugs on me at all times there was a show that Losers did three years ago maybe and I'd forgotten my earplugs and I, I had to make some out of tissue paper or something mm. basically just blocked my ears as much as possible and as you move your your jaw to sing or to you know gurn if you're having a good time mm. um, then uh, yeah then your you know the, your ear your ear holes <laughs> change shape <laughs> And uh, and noise gets in, and yeah. After that show, I was I was I, I cried, you know. I was I was so upset. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I just I I need to make sure that I don't don't do the more damage because you know that's mm. the thing. I I can take it further. We can all take it further, and and it's not gonna. Mm. You know, there is no repair. So I know there's a spike in my in my left ear. Which probably has something to do with labyrinthitis, which I also have, which is also something that can't be cured and I think must be linked, I'm sure is linked with uh, tinnitus. And it affects me in a different way and still affects me, you know, with, you know, uh, sort of vision and, and um, perception of things. But uh, yeah, yeah, not, not a, not too much fun in my left ear. <laughs> so you, you talk about quite a lot of knock-on effects in a way. So you've got the tinnitus in itself, which affects you. And then you talk about how that kind of led on to drinking. And then that leads on to what, you know, you're describing crying. And and I'm, I'm aware this isn't just one specific problem. It becomes a whole massive problem that then impacts the rest of your life in other ways. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the, the the drinking thing, you know, I, there's when you're drinking, like there's always excuses, isn't there? So, um, my excuse was that I wouldn't be able to sleep, and um, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure there's other knock-on effects 
clubs really other than I mean there's always going to be you're always going to try and get rid of it somehow <laughs> um, when you when you're you know you don't understand what it is or you're naive and you think that there's ways of getting rid of it and um, yeah there's there's lots of treatments but um, but none of them work mm. you described the sound in the piece you write you described it as it sounds like a tiny person's jumped in my ear stomped on all the distortion pedals put their tiny guitar next to a tiny amplifier to cause a wall of feedback like being at the end of a Mogwai gig or something but in the scenario playing out in my skull the crew don't walk back on stage and switch off the amplifiers it just never stops I thought that was a very vivid description of what it must sound like Yeah, I was like to try and uh, give imagery. Mm-hmm. It's very important in in lyrics and anything that I write. And I mean, Mogwai are another band, aren't they? That I'm sure that they've done massive amounts of damage to people. Sadly, really. And you know, um, we we toured with them for five weeks in America um, with the Cure on the, on the Cure tour. And uh, and yeah, and I really remember that that thing that you know they always used to end their show with it just screaming, you know, and uh, and then the the roadies would come back on and, and look at each other and count and then doof, and then it would all go off together, um, and it was really cool. It was really impressive because it would go from you know so so loud to nothing, and um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's 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 one piercing note. I think people have lots of different um, examples of what it is, but that's that's what I. I don't know. I always try and make make it into something that I can relate to and something you know. I I enjoyed watching Mogwai. I thought it was really cool, so, you know, if I can have little people in my ear yeah. <laughs> making loads of noise with guitars, then that's fine. But there's something quite humorous about the way you describe it. It's, it's quite comic-like and playful, but I imagine that that's a way of coping in a way of, you know, using Yeah, humor. well, definitely. I, th- I think you have, to, you have to put positive spins mm. on everything, you know? Mm. There's, otherwise... Life is just a bit of a pain, right? I mean, there's mm. there's there's so many things that go wrong or can go wrong or or hurdles to get over in life all the time. And you know, there are lots of people who think that you can make them all better, or you can try and make them all better, and then once they're all done, then it's done, and then tomorrow happens, and then there's loads more problems, and you know, mm. big or small. You've, you've got to try and make the best out of them and, and, and see it positively because it will it can end up, you know, taking over and, and yeah, I mean, mental health is it's a, such a grey area and um, I don't know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the, the the most positive guy in the world, but uh, you know, there's there's been plenty of times when I've been very down, very depressed, and work as a musician is really very difficult and lonely, and um, um, you know, I'm 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 not secure, and um, uh, you know, and I have a family now, and it's it's you know, I want to be able to have some stability and um yeah it's 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 really hard but at the same time i'm i'm lucky to be doing something that i love and uh, i realize more and more how, how lucky i am um and and to make the most of what you've got you know it's, it's just true with everything in life you know and did you always have that kind of belief of looking positively, or did you did you find you had to find a way to cope because there was no other option in a way? Um, I don't know. Um, you've <laughs> you've just got to you've just got to step up, haven't you? You've just got to. I mean. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm my, my, I'm lucky that I have very mm -hmm. supportive parents and uh, supportive friends, and um, that's extremely important in life as well, isn't it? And um, and yeah, I think I'm I'm lucky to to have those influences um, because you know loneliness is is the worst for letting things get on top of you, isn't it? And um, mm. uh, yeah, lucky to have good support. Yeah. And you talk about having a family now as well. And I'm wondering how that is for a musician. Do do fa does family life and a musician's life does it go hand in hand? Not at all. No. <laughs> not, not in my experience. Not in my experience. I've yeah. It's uh it's hard. It's mm. I, I've chosen to live in Berlin. I don't have my family or my friends mm. around me. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but I love making life difficult for myself. Um, I'm really struggling to learn the German language. Um, I, you know, my the nanny for my daughter, my music studio at opposite ends of the city. I don't have a car. Um, and uh, you know, it's so hard for me to make music at the moment, um, and it's really frustrating because it's it's my first love, it's my life. You know, I, I need it. I really need it to survive. I really need it, and that's that's the thing. It's like for me, making records. It's like everyone that I've made. It's like I, I had to make that record mm. um, and the thing is now I have a, I have a two year old daughter and, and I mean yeah life <laughs> you know new life is in, mm. she, she's she's everything and uh, I, it's difficult to, um, to to compromise I don't like to compromise you know you shouldn't have to compromise you put 100% into Whatever you're doing, I always put 100% into my, my music and, you know, I would always be the guy that was at the studio on, on Boxing Day and 
and everyone thinking that I was crazy and I've always you know all day 16 20 hours whatever you know in the studio but then I've since realized that <laughs> there's more to life than sitting in front of a pair of speakers and actually it's very good um, you know to do other things and to stop being so selfish and um, yeah um, it's going to be a very new experience for me making the next uh, Losers record which I'm about to do um, just to see yeah I mean working less hours and I don't know hope, hopefully wanting it more but also it's a, it's a difficult thing to to be relevant you know because when you start um you know when you're 16 or whatever and you're just full of energy and passion and you're hearing things for the first time and you're so excited about sound and fashion and and um you just you just um can't stop you know and now um you know it's gonna be a whole a whole different experience and um I, everything that I do, I just, I want it to be vital to me, you know, and, and I'm, I am in a fortunate position that I, I can make something um, myself now to a reasonable standard, um, and, um, and I want that to be something that is, is vital, otherwise I don't see the point, you know, now I'm just like, well, I'm starting to question music. You know, and it's uh, and it's like it's not its worth, but like what you know. There's there's a lot of times I listen to music now, and I'm just thinking, why why are you making that music? What mm. what's the point? Who are you making this for? And you should, you know, music always has to be made for yourself. That was with the, the one of the best things about the Cooper Double Claws. Mm. Those first two records that we made, that was us just with the with the door locked playing unfortunately very very loud music <laughs> but um and uh and we didn't care about anyone else which is why you know maybe when we saw people they did think that we were a bit strange um but we just locked the doors and we did it for ourselves because we and, and when you went to play it, it people could tell that yeah. we were just enjoying ourselves you know yeah and that's uh that's why people should make music, and I don't. I, yeah, I'm, I don't want to make music that doesn't make me go, "Oh my god, <laughs> you don't like it? I don't care," because I know that that's the best thing I've ever heard. You know. Yeah. So there's something about mean, like music is kind of intrinsic to meaning. It's got to come from somewhere for you. It's it's got to. You've got to. In a way, I I see it as. I think I've spoken to this before with, with another musician once about how musicians really, in that respect, really have to put themselves on that edge because you're kind of putting your whole soul into something and therefore you're necessarily having to become very vulnerable physically and emotionally to do that. It's yeah. a difficult place to, to be in, I imagine. But, yeah, mm. and honesty is the most important thing for me in in music mm. and I think actually with that piece that I wrote about tinnitus that was the, the main thing that I think connected with people because mm. I was just brutally honest about it yeah. 
and there were so many people got in contact I was just overwhelmed um, because I don't normally write because I don't think that I'm necessarily that good at it and um, yeah I mean I, it takes me a really long time to do anything because I, I really pick things to pieces and I have to make sure that um, I'm really getting my point across um, and uh, yeah I was I was I was very surprised mm. um, yeah Sorry, lost my thread. Well, no, I think I think you made a really good point about honesty and about there's, there's something about when you are honest in your music and in your writing or whatever form of art that you're providing, if there's honesty behind it and it connects with people, that's what makes the difference. And it sounds like yeah. your frustration with a lot of music at the moment is that, that it's that honesty that's missing or the connection with people that isn't there. But then yeah. it's almost like a double-edged sword in a way that in order to do that, you have to somehow ruin yourself. Well, not ruin yourself, but you damage yourself in the process. Yeah, there's uh, Fisher, our, our guitarist and the main lyricist in the Cooper Tumble Clause, which is, used to say that, you know, negative feelings, it's like there's just, they're just in abundance, aren't they? And they're so interesting and so fucked up and, um, you know, when you're happy and you're having a good time it's like no no one wants to listen to someone having a good time and being like yeah I'm happy everything's cool thanks <laughs> um, and I must admit like yeah I, I used to write a lot of stuff when I was when I was down I've, I've always written stuff when I was down or having a bad time because it's a way of, of getting it out you know mm. and uh and I mean, that's another thing for me, yeah. I mean, I'm relatively stable these days. And, I, you know, who wants to write something about being stable? Mm. <laughs> it's just boring. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, yeah. The best writers for me uh, are the ones that say something that you, you want to say, but you, you didn't know how to. And they can say it in a way that brings up a picture there where you can visualise what it is that you couldn't say. Mm. Um, and I think Fisher used to do that well. Uh, I just, you know, I, I love everything he has to say. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, just to keep honest. So is there a pressure to do that then? If you're in a stable place and you feel like you can't, necessarily write something about being in that stable place does that then present a conundrum to almost create something almost make yourself unhappy in order to write about it because a lot of people kind of talk about that with musicians it, it, it kind of feeds into this idea of a tortured artist but i'm never quite sure how real that is or how or how real it feels for you yeah it's it's definitely a thing. Mm. It's definitely a thing. It's, um, oh, I don't know. It, I, I guess it depends what you're into. I guess it all depends on your character and, mm. you know, you will always listen to something that reflects how you're feeling. Mm. Um, 
and I guess people that are having a lovely time in life will listen to music that's <laughs> written by pop stars who are, you know, falling in love and, and all that, you know. And I, I, I've always been attracted to musicians who are writing about not feeling that great or, you know, writing about something dangerous or exciting or, you know, a, a feeling of, you know, that can be put under the rock and roll umbrella, mm. you know. That's that's always exciting me. Or you know, there's there's like I said, there's there's feelings that eat you up from inside, and you you're not sure what they are, and then someone talks about it, and you're like, oh god, yeah, that's that's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and yeah, and no, it's 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 a th- it's a thing mm-hmm. for me. It's a it's a thing. Mm-hmm. I know when um, I've got an older brother and when I was younger he was in bands um, and he, a friend that he was in a band with um, always said he, he enjoyed waking up to Pink Floyd because it was t- depressing. I always found it quite amusing the way he said it but he said he'd rather wake up to something that would make him relate rather than wake up to something that reminded him that's not what his life is like. I always remember being interested in that sort of psychology behind that, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because Eddie, my bandmate, talks about listening to music, like depressing music, as a as a great thing because it helps, you know. It helps you get your feelings out. I've never thought that I've listened to depressing music. It's just, and it's uh, it's whatever you want it to be, isn't it? I mean, you can, that's the that's the beauty of music. So it's it's different for everybody. I, you know, and someone will write something. I I can write things, and and they mean one thing, and I get you know ten different people telling me ten different versions of what they thought I was talking about. <laughs> And are there any happy songs that you that you can think of that you like? Um, I well, yeah. I mean, Losers wrote one happy song, Mm -hmm. um, which was about going to a music festival and uh, having a really lovely time. partying with lots of people and singing and dressing up and uh, I don't really like that song um, and yeah I mean and yeah there's plenty of positive songs that I like um, I can't think of any <laughs> I'm sure dodgy wrote lots of songs that were positive I, I was just trying to think you know, I like that's positive I think dodgy were positive yeah. and I re- used to really really like dodgy when I was like 16 music that's like really uplifting and, and uh, posit- positive sounding and then and then actually you listen to the lyrics and it's like the most depressing thing ever and, and that always confuses me um, and actually there's, well, there's lots of love songs like that isn't there? it's just like it's so it's so happy and the sun's shining and you're like oh this is brilliant and then, you know he's killed his wife and he's you know going on another killing spree or so I don't know 
My, one of my favourite happiest songs is Nina Simone's song, I Got Life, because what I love about that is that it's so positive, but at the same time it's coming out of something, such a dire situation, and the sense of gratefulness just for being alive, that, that, that kind of, if I think of like a positive song, I kind of think of that, because it doesn't take away from the reality of life, but it sort of puts a spin on it that makes you yeah. think differently yeah this always used to well you talked about hope a lot and you know yeah as you say like talk about something that's a, a problem but then give it hope you know to sort of look back at your younger self in that 14 year old self at Reading Festival what would you say to him or would you say would you change anything oh dear I don't know that's a difficult question isn't it because <laughs> yeah I, I such fond memories of being in the in the Cube Simple Claws yeah. and it was such an incredible experience that now it's almost like I can't believe it happened <laughs> um, you know and if I hadn't have done the things that I did then maybe that wouldn't have happened and you know so I, I no regrets you know but um, I'd in my ears and I wish it was gone but you know it's not the end of the world mm. I, do, I, I don't have to let it destroy me um, I can imagine there are people out there who are really really suffering and I know that if it got worse that I would yeah I mean I would, I would be gutted mm. um, would I change anything God, yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we would all, I don't know. I've always said no regrets, so I'm just going to stick with no regrets. Yeah. So I guess it, in a way it's difficult to think of anything as a mistake because the mistakes are what got you here, right? Yeah. Exactly. We, yeah. yeah. Mistakes are the best bit. <laughs> Learning from the mistake, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a re I think it's a really interesting thought about, you know, the idea of regret, but I suppose, would there be anything in terms of how you looked after your ears or anything like that that you would do differently with the knowledge that you have now? Uh, definitely. I mean, in terms of my, 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 my hearing, my tinnitus, mm -hmm. I, I mean... I, I listen to music when I go to see gigs with earplugs in and I play music with earplugs in and you know for the the end of the Coopers I was I had in-ear monitoring and yeah it's like I still enjoy myself and enjoy myself a lot mm. and there's absolutely no need to listen to music 
you know, deafening levels. Mm. There's, there's just no need. Um, so yes, I mean, I would, I would give myself a pair of earplugs straight away and stick them in my hands yeah. <laughs> and say, "Don't be an idiot." Mm. Um, I don't know. Enjoy rock and roll some somehow somehow else, but just wear these, you idiot. Mm. Um, it's 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 really important to 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 have ear defenders. It's so important. And would you say, is that the advice you'd give to someone else in a band now, anyone starting in a band or in a band who maybe, maybe their ears are fine at the minute, but, you know, they're kind of on a trajectory if they're not careful, what what would you say to them? Uh, without a doubt, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone that I speak to in, in music now, mm -hmm. you know, if they're, if they're not wearing earplugs, I question them str straight away and, um, mm. um, yeah. It's it there. There has to be more education that goes along with 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 music, listening to music, because there's there's too many people that just don't understand about the damage it causes, and it's so easy. You know, you can even a pair of cheap earplugs. I mean, yeah, it's not going to sound as as good as if you buy a pair of. Um, these expensive ones from Harley Street or whatever, but it means Jesus. No one ever wants to have ringing in their ears for the rest of their lives. Mm. It's just as simple as that. So, um, yeah. Mm. Everyone needs a pair of earbuds. Yeah. Important words. Yeah. And you, you've done a lot of work with the British Tinnitus Association, or you've been campaigning with them? Um, Eddie has. Eddie was an ambassador. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's, he still is. He does quite a lot of work um, with uh, charities. He also works for Calm. Um, it's just to do with um, um, male mental health. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I haven't I haven't directly worked with BTA, but um, I'm actually. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I've, I've just made a, a music video, um, um, hopefully, which is going to be uh, going out next February for uh, Tinnitus Awareness Week okay. um, to help, uh, yeah, just to help raise awareness. Um, and uh, yeah, I was going to maybe talk to them uh, about doing something there. Um, yeah, so British, uh, sorry, uh, Tinnitus Awareness Week is... is um, a week in February, oh, right. which is always a, a brilliant time because it makes my tinnitus really, really loud. Because I think about it the whole time. Because oh. that's—I mean—that's the—that's the problem, you know. If you're—if someone ever says, well, "How's your tinnitus?" or "What's going on?" or "Let's talk about tinnitus," and it always gets really, really loud, which is uh, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm going to be hopefully doing some work in the future with them. Is that what's happening now as we talk about it? Is it getting a lot louder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I'm not sure whether it's louder, but you just become more aware of it. Like, for example, if I was on, I was on the tram earlier, coming here, and I would never normally hear it on the tram because the tram makes quite a lot of noise. Mm. Uh, and then I 
thought, you know, I'm coming to the studio. Oh, I've got to do that interview. Oh, I've got to do about tinnitus, and then I'm, and then straight away you start, and then I can hear it, and I, you know, and then I thought, oh, that's that's strange because if you really want to hear it, you can hear it. But it's, it, I'm really lucky that I can, I can zone out at the moment. Um, but yeah, talking about it. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but no, I'm sorry for doing for inflicting this on you. Like the, the thought of having made you, made you suddenly more aware of your tinnitus, like and leaving you saying goodbye and knowing that, that there's a ringing in your ears. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it kind of connects back to that thing of like you, you, the passion that you have for raising awareness in it, and then you put yourself in that place, and then there's some comeback from it which affects you a bit like yeah. how you are with, with music so it kind yeah. of all connects yeah so you've got that coming up in February and um, you said you've got a new album coming out as well um, I'm gonna start writing a new album, album yeah. yeah I've had a bit of a uh, bit of a break um, okay. mainly because I've been going crazy with my my daughter um uh but yeah we're uh, we're gonna get get back together and write some new stuff and um yeah and i don't know <laughs> see what happens there's no there's no really there's no goal i'm lucky that i've never had like a um you know, someone, well, no, I mean, Cooper's, the, our third Cooper's album, we were told what to do. I was about to say, we've never had anyone telling us what to do, but the third Cooper's album, we had some people telling us what to do, and it was awful, so mm -hmm. that's why I never want to make music like that again. Um, but yeah, there's no, we, we work at our own pace, and, you know, life gets in the way, and uh, which, is, which is a good thing now, because there's more, there's more to life than is there? I don't know. I'm questioning that already. <laughs> but it seems like music's really your life. It is your life. You live and breathe music. Uh, you, you said earlier you need it. There's there's a need for it. Yeah, well, so I think some people make music because they can, mm. you know? And I think that happens more and more these days, mm. especially with, like, home studios and stuff. And I just find that really... Uh, difficult to understand. Mm. I, I don't, I don't get it. Mm. You know. And yeah, there seems to be like a guilt with it because you said you're really, really lucky, and you've repeated that quite a lot. Like I'm really lucky to have these opportunities, and I'm lucky to have managed to be in the Coopers, and I'm lucky to still be able to make music. And I've, I've noticed that a lot of musicians say that when they when they reach a certain level of success there's a kind of like there's a balance like it's a pain in the ass but I'm so lucky to have it that that sort of uh, I, I don't know <laughs> I'm interested in that yeah it's is it a pain in the ass yeah it is a, I don't know what it is mm. Um, I, I mean, I like I like being my own boss, and um, and I and I I don't 
I don't know. I don't work. I don't work well with other people. I guess. No. What am I saying? I don't know. Why? Why? Why is it a pain in the ass? No, it's not. What is it about it that I love? Everything. Nothing. Yeah, I'm lucky. Of course, I'm lucky. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in a band and make music. It's the best thing in the world. Of course, yeah. I'm desperate. I'm, I'm desperate to go out and play live. I mean, that was my life. I played so many gigs with that with that band, and and it was the best. And you know, I've done gigs sober now, and it was it was even. I was going to say it was even more rewarding, but it was, it was rewarding in a different way because I felt so in control. Mm. Um, you know, and it is the best feeling when you when you when you're making music and and you're doing it for yourself, but someone else gets it. You know, mm. you're not writing music for other people. It's just that they get it and they like it, and you're like, oh yeah, that's that's nice that you like it as well. We can all have a party together. <laughs> And it's just a great—it's a great feeling. So I've, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. It's that—it's that thing of making. I'm lucky that the music that I've made has connected with people because there are lots of people who make music who probably think that to them it's the best thing in the world ever, mm. and other people are going, y you know what? That is so bad. <laughs> you, you just never ever play that to anyone ever again. And then it's probably quite depressing for that person. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I guess, sorry, that took me a while to think about it. But yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that it connected. Mm. Because I made it for myself, you know, we made it for ourselves. In the Coopers, we, you know, we locked the doors and, and then you come out and it's like, oh, that's, that's, you've done, done something good there. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's really, really, really great. I'm um, really thank you so much for um, saying all that. I think it's so interesting. Um, I mean, I find it fascinating. So people can find you at the minute on Twitter and Facebook at Losers UK. I've got your yeah. website Losers losersband.co.uk is there anything yeah. else that you that you wanted to oh we've got the British Tinnitus Association as well if people want to find out more about um, tinnitus or any projects that you're doing with them would they just go there to tinnitus um, yeah I think I think Twitter's probably the best place for me I don't I don't really like uh, talking on social media I'm really bad at it I mm -hmm. much prefer to be private um, and when I have got something to say that I'd say it like I did in that piece you know and um, so I, yeah anything that I do I will always I'll always put up on Twitter and um, maybe one day I'll update my website and um, I don't know yes yeah, just Twitter and let people for that. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you again. And Real pleasure to talk to you. And you. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good, good luck with everything. Thank you. And it's all a request just to carry it on.
So thanks very much to Tom Bellamy for that really poignant and interesting interview. Just to follow up with some support and advice, Tinnitus Awareness Week will be in February 2018. That will be the week of the 5th to the 11th of February and Tom will be taking part in that as will Eddie Temple Morris. Eddie Temple Morris is the ambassador for the British Tinnitus Association which we mentioned in the interview. If you would like the website address for the British Tinnitus Association, you can find that on tinnitus.org.uk. You'll find all sorts of information, help, support, advice and ways to get involved on there. They do also have a helpline on 0800 018 0527. That's open from 9am to 5pm every Monday to Friday. And of course, following up on the advice that Tom mentioned, always protect your ears, wear earplugs at any gigs that you go to, stay away from the loudspeakers. If you're using any equipment where you've got earphones in your ears, try to keep the volume down. And if you are going to be exposed to music quite regularly, just remember to take regular breaks. If you are worried that you might be suffering from tinnitus, or you are at risk of tinnitus because of maybe the job that you do, again, you can find that website at tinnitus.org.uk, which will have all sorts of information about how to stay safe. Also, Tom mentioned the charity called CALM, which stands for the Campaign Against Living Miserably. That's a charity raising mental health awareness specifically for men who are at at the highest, uh, they're the group that's at the highest risk of suicide. That charity is a brilliant charity. They do all sorts of fundraising and raising awareness for male suicide and all issues that affect men. And um, you can find that website at www.thecalmzone.net. They also have a helpline which runs 365 days a year. Um, so that's every single day of the year from 5pm until midnight and that number is 0800 585858 and if you're in London there's a separate London number which is 0808 802 5858. You can also call Samaritans for free and completely anonymously 24-7 at 116123 or you can email them at joe at samaritans.org and you can visit samaritans at samaritans.org. Just a reminder there that um, Eddie Temple Morris, who is in the band Losers with Tom Bellamy and Paul Mullen, is actually the chair for the music board for the Calm charity, as well as being the ambassador for the British Tinnitus Association. Um, so that's just signposting for you if you need it. I'll put all of that information at the bottom of this podcast as well. In the meantime, keep well.